So, uh, yeah, so thank you for coming this morning. Um, nice to see so many people. My name is Amos, so I'm the interim lead pastor here at the church. I wasn't here last week because of the snow. Uh, I see you have a lot of grass. We still don't. So I think we got 80 centimeters last weekend. I think that's what we got, and it was a lot, and it was really heavy. That long, narrow strip of snow that came to us, and uh, I was really tired at the end of the weekend, and I'm glad it's melting, because we're going to get more. But it is Christmas, it is Advent, and it's also a time that we, you know, Jen and I are bouncing around the idea of, like, do we, should we do the Christmas story? Uh, should we kind of stick with the book of Acts for a little bit? And I thought, you know, I'm going to take the challenge of sticking with the book of Acts, because why not? Why not talk about the church in action because of Jesus? Um, so last week, I don't know if you were paying attention, if you were on Zoom, I was on Zoom giving the message. I didn't know who was in the building because you were all so tiny on my little screen. But my, my children, like, they were so quiet <laughs> until I started talking. <laughs> Honestly. So my wife was doing uh, Christmas minis like downstairs and families are coming in and out of our door. And so she's doing a photo shoot. So I had my, my two little people up in the studio with me. Honestly, they were perfect until I started talking. It was very, very challenging, but here we are. But we talked, I mean, I tried to share, I don't know how coherent it was, about the Luke and Acts. So like Luke, Luke, Acts, the fusion of these two books. And that Luke, was he an original disciple of Jesus? Yes or no? No. Did he see Jesus? No, he didn't. Did he know people who saw Jesus? No. Yes. <laughs> yes, he did. And so when we come, when the church comes for centuries, comes back to try to discover itself or rediscover itself, we often go to the book of Acts. And I was rummaging through some of my old notes from one of my favorite professors in grad school. And in the top, he, you know, he starts the book of Acts. He says, this is not a, his a history. This is not a chronology, and it's really important when we come to the book of Acts. We're not reading a, a history book of the church. It's the story of the church. So it's not the conclusive history. Other things probably were happening at the time. This is a particular kind of story that Luke is trying to tell us that's important. And he kind of gives us a clue right away that Luke was not an eyewitness of Jesus. He was witnessed to he knew Jesus because of people telling him about Jesus. And then he went around and found other people who saw Jesus, and he wrote these stories down. And he was writing to someone. Does anyone remember his name? Theophilus, or Theophilus, however you wanted to pronounce it. Some people think that Theophilus means, it means, it means something like um, God's community. And so some people think Luke is writing to the community of, of Christians. I don't think so. I think he's actually writing to a Roman elite, someone in Rome who's now hearing about Christians in Rome, who's seeing the witness of Jesus in Rome, which is a weird place to see it, talking about this Judean prophet with these kind of radical claims, and they're living a very different way of, of life. They're not behaving like Romans, these early Christians. 
And so this guy, Theophilus, is curious. He's heard, he's seen, he saw, and he wants to know more. And I, and I can imagine that him and Paul and Luke had a triangulating conversation about Jesus. But then Paul, he gets executed. He's out of the picture. So Luke takes on this job of writing and collecting information for Theophilus. What was Luke's profession? Who remembers? Physician. He's a doctor. He can read. He can write. He's probably somewhat wealthy. He's smart. He collects information in a different way, so it's interesting. He's not Mark, so that's too bad for Luke. But, but he starts his first book, Luke, in a certain way, going through the life of Jesus. Then he starts Acts, where Luke finishes off. So Acts is basically part two. Dear Theophilus, he says, in the first volume of this book, i.e. his gospel of Luke, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to the apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face -face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for the, what the Father had promised, the promise you heard from me. Jesus is saying, John baptized in water, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And soon. Some interesting things that Luke is telling us. He's saying that Jesus... When he was resurrected, he came and mauled about for 40 days, walked around, not as a ghost, not as a spirit, walked in his flesh and blood, sat, ate, had broke meals, talked, showed up to lots of different people. That would be a weird thing for Theophilus to hear because dead people don't come back to life and walk around. That's odd. And then they're talking about this kingdom of God. And then Luke says, when the last time they were together, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Is this the time? Jesus told them, you don't know or get to know the time. Timing is in the Father's business. What you will get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, You'll be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all over Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the world. At this point, Jesus ascends into heaven. I lost my spot. Sorry, candle. That's not safe. I'm going to do this. At this point, Jesus ascends into heaven. He leaves. Another kind of perplexing part of this story. Why did Jesus leave? Why did he go away? Why did he fly up into the clouds? He leaves his disciples, and they do what Jesus asked them to do. Don't leave Jerusalem. Stay. Wait for what God has promised. The counselor, the spirit to come upon you. Now here's a little fact about the early church. We have to leave today to go back in time. These people, these disciples, did not have a concept of the Trinity. 
they did not understand the Trinity the way we do. They would have known God the Father, and now they're just starting to understand what Jesus is as God's Son. They're just, just starting to wrap their heads around. This is like 40 days after Jesus is crucified. Peter left Jesus, denied him. None of them are there at his death because they think Jesus is a man who failed his mission. They're not waiting for him to come back to life because they don't believe that he's God's son who has power over death. So this is 40 days later. Imagine how much time it takes you to process big pieces of information. I am very, very slow to process big pieces of information. They don't have a concept, really, the way we would. This is weird language. And they're saying, Jesus, are you going to instill Israel's kingdom now? They still think they're still waiting for the nation of Israel, the geopolitical nation of Israel, to find its place in the world. Are you going to come back and make this, this place, our home, ugh, separate from Rome? Conquer, like, as you promised Abraham that we would be a witness to the world. Are you going to do that, Jesus? That's what they're, they're still waiting for that. These 11 guys expecting that. And Jesus says, no, it's not up for you to know. But what you will get is the Holy Spirit. Wait for the gift that God's going to give you. And so they wait. Now, I, am, I told you, a, a born and bred Pentecostal boy. Of all the scriptures in the Bible, of all the stories in the Bible, this one I thought I knew so, 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 so well. This is it. This is like our defining thing. It's Pentecostals. Who else is Pentecostal? I don't want to point you out. You don't have to put up your hand, but if you want to. There's a couple in the back. I see that hand. Thank you. <laughs> That's a Pentecostal joke, if you didn't get it. This is my bread and butter. This is, these are the, this is the language of my people. And I think we totally missed the mark. This story of the, of the 120 gathered in the upper room. It's probably at the temple. They're Jews. They're Jewish men and women. And they're probably gathering in some far-off room adjoining the temple. Because that's where they're going every day. Because they're Jews. And that's where they went to worship. They're not going to the synagogue. They don't live there. They're probably not renting a house. Passover's long over. The house that Jesus procured for the Passover meal, that's done. They're probably in the temple. And they're gathering and they're praying and they're waiting. And there's 120 of them, a mix. Probably men and women and children. And they're doing what they think they should be doing. Earnestly waiting. Praying. But it's the Feast of Pentecost. And it's a feast of, it's a, it's a holiday that takes about 50 days after Passover. And a whole new slew of pilgrims have come in 
to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. The Jews are brilliant at celebrating festivals. They've got all kinds of festivals. Pentecost is one of them. There's all kinds of nuance and what it means and the timing and I believe something about water spilling over stairs and it's pretty remarkable. And so there's people from all over the known world, the diaspora of the Jews that have come to the temple to worship while the 120 are in the upper room waiting. And then a mighty sound of a rushing wind blows through that space. And what seems like tongues of fire are over top of the heads of the people gathered praying. And then they began to speak in other languages. The Spirit gave them utterance. Am I pretty close? Pretty close, right? That's like seared in my brain. Tongues of fire over their head, and they began to speak this glossolalia, this tongues, this heavenly language. Most of them were speaking languages that they didn't know. And they're, they're filled up with this fire. And then they march down the stairs to this crowd of people speaking their languages, talking about Jesus in other people's native tongues that they don't know. And 3,000 people came to Jesus that day at that temple. And you have the birth of the church. 3,000 saved. And Peter does this brilliant message, this, this like first Christian sermon, basically, that makes all these people come to know Jesus. This is the Pentecostal's bread and butter. I grew up digesting this, hearing this reinforced over and over and over again. And Pentecostals kind of took it in, I think, the wrong direction. That they... For whatever reason, we thought that it was about, you know, speaking in tongues became the marker, the identifier of a truly filled spirit person. And I, I disagree with that. Something else is happening here. Something else, I believe, much more simple and much more, I believe, much more profound. Peter, he, he stands up back by the other 11, and he spoke out with bold urgency. So he, this, the Spirit has come in. He has this tongue of fire. He now understands what Jesus is saying. Oh, I'm supposed to wait for this counselor, this Holy Spirit. And he's filled up with this courage and boldness. And he, he just starts preaching. Fellow Jews, all you visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people that you see, this 120, they're speaking your languages. They're not drunk, as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen 600 years before. In the last days, God said through Joel, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. When the time comes... I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they'll prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning to black and the moon blood red before the day of the Lord arrives, that tremendous and marvelous. And whoever calls out for help to me, God, will be saved. 
The first thing Peter says, the first thing he recounts is a prophecy, an oracle, a statement given by Joel 600 years before. That one day God would come and pour out his spirit on whoever was willing, whoever was ready to receive. And what I, I, I is, is really quite fascinating. I tried to, I tried to find the source for it, and I, so I, I can't remember. But in, in those days, it was believed that if the, if the idol of a god came alive, their eyes would glow. The spirit of the god would indwell the idol, and they would become alive. And so it's not lost on me or the ancients that now the spirit the life of Jesus is indwelling his image bearers. And the word used for spirit, and, or the word used for wind, this kind of rushing wind, and the Greek is pneuma. It's a very famous Greek word. In the Hebrew, it's ruah. And it's the same word, pneuma, ruah, the same word, the same meaning that's used at the beginning of creation. When God breathed his life into Adam and he became alive. Pentecost, I believe, is less about tongues and more about recreation. That God actually poured out his spirit, he breathed his life in a recreative act and recreated humanity because of Jesus through the spirit. The symbol is the fire, the power of God, the, the consuming fire, this cleansing fire. In this generational kind of cascading ages group of people. Fire breathed, ruah, spirit of God indwelled. Idols as image bearers of the true God. To instill his kingdom on earth. And the outflow is the birth of the church. To be a church need not mean you need a building, a liturgy, a piano, though it's great, a drum kit, a Bible, a list of things to do or beliefs to follow. To be a church means to be a gathering of people recreated through the breath of God, to refine humanity. And I, I, I say it every, almost every week, N.T. Wright says it best, I think. The intersection in the Jewish mindset is not between heaven and hell and kingdom and eternal and present, is not stark as we can fall trap and, and pray to believe in. 
the intersection is actually a, a, an, an emergence, an overlapping. That it's like an eternal now and not yet. That the kingdom is present and not yet. And so Jesus answering the question, are you instituting, he kind of is sneaky, are you instituting the kingdom of Israel now? And Jesus says, it's not for your business, but really winking a nod, yes. This is the kingdom of God manifest on earth. This is what started with Abraham oh so long ago. To be a blessing to the world, to be a witness of light-sharing, fire-life-breathing, image-bearing people of God in the world. That is the church. So I believe. And that, I believe, is very hopeful for Advent, that we actually get to anticipate that, remember that, reflect on that, embrace that tiny babe that who's really literally changed the world. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you came to earth as a tiny babe. I thank you that you were, this, this scope of human history is kind of arced around you as an embodied person, as one part of the Trinity, that you, you came and you lived a, a life so radical we can scarcely recognize it, but it is a life that, that invites us into the eternal. I thank you that you left so that you could share, that you could pour out your spirit, that we could be image bearers of you, that we could be uh, Christ-like, filled with the Ruah spirit of your Father. Jesus, I thank you that actually we don't have to do anything to earn that. Because quite frankly, none of us deserve it. But I thank you that you don't care about that, that your invitation is one of grace and love. And that you invite us in to be participants in your kingdom even today. And may we take that as a, as a joy. Thank you for this day and thank you for your story and your name. Amen.